Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, Sam, managing editor, FightfulMMA.com, and we have a big one for you. It is July 2nd on the Fightful MMA podcast. We're going to recap UFC Minneapolis. We're going to preview UFC 239, talk about the possible implications of this much-adjusted UFC International Fight Week, and we're going to talk or preview the Bellator show. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame inductees that are coming our way, as Joe, I'm sure, has experience with many of them. May I ask, who's Joe? Joe is Joe Ferraro. Showdown Joe joins us on this show. You all can find him at Joe A. Ferraro on Twitter. Joe, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Just happy, a wonderful- happy belated Canada Day. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say it. Yes, a? thank you very much. A? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting uh, weekend to say the least. Lots of relaxation. Lots of, uh, I got burned. I got sunburned, which is, um, I don't complain when I get sunburned, Sean, because uh, we only get like four or five months of really hot weather here if we're lucky. So uh, wonderful weather over here, great times, uh, you no know, complaints around the city from my understanding around the country. So, so far so good. But yeah, lots to talk about this week. It's an interesting uh, week coming up, a huge pay-per-view card and a crazy uh, event that happened uh, last Saturday. So let's go ahead and talk about that event that happened last Saturday. UFC Minneapolis. I did not do a live post show. There was a, an AEW show that night and uh, that kind of took precedence over this event, but it was a good one. I thought that a lot of good stuff happened. Uh, unfortunately, our boy, Junior Albini, probably got bounced from the UFC. But Maurice Green won. Amanda Rebus, after all the mess she's been through with USADA and all that garbage, came back off a three-year layout and won. Eric Anders got a win that he needed and a decisive win that he needed at 205 pounds. Ricardo Ramos did exactly what he was supposed to do against Journey Newsom. Uh, you had Jared Gordon defeating Dan Moret. You had Alonzo Minifield continuing to be impressive over Paul Craig. Drew Dober just collapsed Marco Polo Reyes. Vince Pichel surprised Roosevelt Roberts. What stood out to you the most here? Because to me, I'm looking at Eric Anders, I'm looking at Amanda Rebus, and I'm looking at Drew Dober and saying those are the ones that were the most important to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Amanda Rebus uh, submission, the minute she got mount or the second she got mount, it was ruthless absolutely ruthless and then Emily had to give up her back and and in adjusting the position bang put herself into the rear naked choke 
so that was a good finish there by Rebus. Of course, Eric Anders uh, against Vinicius. I mean, the the way he stuffed that takedown uh, <laughs> when Vinicius went in there, I, I I was thinking of you thinking, have you ever seen that where a guy? I mean, my son goes in for takedowns on me, and that's how I defend it. I just turn my hip because he's he's a third of the weight of what I weigh. So uh, the way Eric just completely defended that takedown and then put in that finish. Um, I, I get they were complaining about the stoppage and the referee should have stepped in sooner, but watch it in real time. I mean, the referee got in there as quickly as he could. I know there was some unanswered punches. I get it. Uh, but Drew Dober is a bad man as well. Holy smokes. And he's, those, those lefts were landing like bombs, man. So uh, felt super bad for Marco Polo Reyes, but Drew Dober looking in really good shape there, looking really good in that performance. Drew Dober has now won four of his last five. He's won, I think, Six of his last eight. That is a hell of a streak for a guy who was just a guy. He came into the UFC and he almost lost his way out of the UFC. You don't get put in the UFC and then lose your first two fights and hang around an awful lot. I do uh, want to talk about one thing though, Sean. Uh, Dolce Lejumbala. Like yeah. that dude's a middleweight, is he not? I think so. Yeah, he comes in at light heavyweight, and you know, I, I know it went to the third round. But oh my goodness, did he just pop off on, on Decon Townsend? Like that was that was pretty impressive. I want to see him uh, come in at 185 pounds. I think that'd be a fantastic uh, you know in, in, infusion to that division. And he was supposed to fight uh, Justin Ledet. Now I think I think that he's fought at uh, heavyweight, not middleweight. He's fought at heavyweight before, as opposed. Yeah, I don't think he's fought at middleweight for a while. Um, but if he can cut there. That's fast, man. He's fast. Yeah, I know he's done like 195 pound fights too. Uh, I know that he's done some of that, so I don't know the likelihood that, that he'll do that. But he was supposed to fight Justin Ledet. That didn't end up happening, and he got a big win. But we do have three. Uh, I mentioned Eric Anders too. Eric Anders badly needed this win. He had lost three fights in a row. He had lost at light heavyweight. He'd lost at middleweight. It just wasn't right for him. It wasn't the right fit. Uh, all the like, what happened w- with uh, Eric Anders is I, I don't want to say I don't want to compare it to Francis Ngannou, yeah. but Eric Anders let his hands go and he won fights. Yeah, that, that's that's how it, that's how it works out for him. Uh, the UFC's got to be thrilled about that. That's a guy that they've had in pretty high profile situations coming back and getting a win. Speaking of the old knuckleballer, does it again? Damian Maya gets it done. I don't want to see this guy retire. I don't want to see this guy hang it up. I don't want to see this guy even entertain the idea of not fighting anymore. After losing three in a row. Now keep in mind, Joe. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's run through the losses. Yep. Damian Maya, Kamaru Usman, champion. Kobe Covington, champion. Tyron Woodley, champion. Roy McDonald back in the day, champion. Jake Shields was a champion all over the place. Chris Weidman, champion. Anderson Silva, champion. Nate Marquardt, strike force champion. Really the only one is Mark Munoz. And that that was at a point where Mark Munoz was just at his hottest. Like yeah. Mark Munoz was at his career peak, his physical peak, everything. Damian Maya has come back and beat Lyman Good and Anthony Rocco Martin. Not champions, but well, Lyman Good was in Bellator, Bellator yeah. but very good fighters. What did you think of uh, his performance? It was a, a majority decision. It was incorrectly read as a unanimous decision. What did you think? 
Well, that shouldn't have been a majority decision. It was a unanimous decision, in my opinion. He won the first well, two it rounds. It have to be a unanimous decision, in your yeah. opinion. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he basically he dominated the first two rounds, or he won the first two rounds, per se. And in the third round, yeah, he went on cruise control. He's like, ah, I'm going to just ride the next five minutes, play it a little safe, not get hurt. You know, typical Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Damian Maia, I don't want to get touched in the face. I've already beaten this guy. I've won 10 minutes of the 15. I'm going to cruise here and, and, and get the victory. Sucks for most people to see that kind of stuff. You don't always want to see it, but, you know, he's the knuckleballer. Like you said, you know, and he's getting older and he doesn't need that damage. Uh, all the media scorecards had it for Maya. 80% had it for Maya on fan scoring, 14% at a draw. Uh, there were 6% of people who apparently felt like they should uh, troll for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> When, when you look at this type of performance, how much longer do you think that Maya can do it? He's 41 right now. Uh, when, when you look at it, I let me see when he was born. So he, he's about 41 and a half. He'll be 42 yeah. this year. But he's still getting it done. Now, is he getting it done in exciting fashion? Not always. He did against Lyman Good, and that was great. Usman, Covington, Woodley, we're not going to accuse those of being like the greatest fights in the world. Uh, same for the Masvidal. I think Masvidal fight as well. But we've seen him three years ago put away Condit really well. He clearly still has that with Lyman Good. I don't think that's going away, Joe. No, I so think his reaction I'll, time might, but I don't think his ability in that regard will. Just say yes or no. I'm going to throw out these names to you all above him in the rankings, and you tell me if he can beat them or not. Leon Edwards. Right now, I don't think so. Robbie Lawler. Possibly. Ponzinibbio. Yeah, I think he's at 50, maybe 45-55 Ponzinibbio. Anthony Pettis. Yeah. Stephen Thompson. Yeah. Darren Till. For sure. Ben Askren. I would love to see that fight. That's the fight that you and I spoke about. When <laughs> that's the, a fight we got to see. That's the one we got to see. Jorge Masvidal would be a rematch. And then there's RDA. And then the rematch is potentially with Colby Covington, Teron Woodley, and Kamaru Usman. So it's safe to say he can, he still can compete in this division. Uh, that Ben Askren fight is one I really, really, really want to see because Askren's a fantastic wrestler, can take anybody down at 170 pounds. And Damian Maya be like, okay, you can take me down. Let me work. Do, do you think we're in another stretch for Maya? Well, obviously, it depends on the opponents. He had that Magni, Gunnar Nelson, Matt Brown, Carlos Condit thing. I can't remember if it was 14 strikes or 14 significant strikes he ate over those four fights. He's now in a two-fight stretch where he's taken 22. That's it. And we we were also at a point, those three fights that I mentioned, those high-level fights, where he didn't get any takedowns. Well, now he's got five over his last two fights. Yeah. By the way. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Joseph Boza. Joseph Boza made a really good point in the chat. He saw the cards online. I forgot, both of us forgot to mention this, that one judge that made it a majority decision gave the round to Anthony 10-8. Yeah, that was weird. Jesus, if you think that's a 10-8, what do you call all the other rounds that have been scored 10-8? Like 10-7s, 10-6s? Man, I'm just so fascinated with Damian Maia because quite frankly, we've never quite seen anything like it. We've never seen a guy fight into his mid-40s with this specific skill set. We've seen Randy Couture do it, but the, we both know, Joe, there are far, there are way bigger differences uh, to Randy Couture and what he did and his style uh, than 
what Damian Maya is doing. And I, you know, I would argue Damian Maya is probably going to be doing it against higher level opponents consistently than Randy Couture. And that's, that's the issue consistently because look at the people that Couture beat in his last run. Brandon Fair was all right. Sure. Mark Coleman. That was not the Mark Coleman in his prime. James Tony. That was hilarious. We needed that, but he was beating Tim Sylvia and Gabriel Gonzaga. Pretty damn good heavyweights at that point. But I mean, I want to see Damian Maya keep continuing to compete at this top 15 level and do it consistently. And I'm not trying to like really crap on what, what Randy Couture did, but also Randy Couture, it was a Randy Couture won like what three fights in a row one time in his UFC career, like, or maybe twice, maybe if you count the first one, but the comparisons aren't necessarily there because of the skill discrepancy that we're facing. Like, I don't think Damian Maya is going to face James Tony, But if he fought another legend on the level of, like, Mark Coleman compared to Randy Couture, it's just – I know I'm all over the place here, but this is just something that we haven't seen this side of Randy Couture. And I wonder how much longer we're going to see it. Yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, we ran up and down that division. I want to see him continue competing. I still believe he has it. I still believe he can compete with the division's best. Uh, and you just never know with a guy like that. Um, you know, I hearken back to that Tyron Woodley fight, right? Because the Tyron Woodley fight, people were saying he's the worst takedown artist in the game. Damian Maya sucks, can't get a yeah. takedown if his life depended on it. Okay, well, yeah, recency bias. Because if he was able to get Tyron Woodley down, who knows what we'd be talking about today? We could be talking about Damian Maya as a world champion, right? So it's all those situations. I mean, Kamara Usman fought a perfect fight versus Damian Maya. Stay away. Do not let him near you. Do what you got to do. Uh, and just don't engage. I mean, that's smart, you know, cerebral mixed martial arts. But Damian Maya doesn't need much. If he can get that clinch on you and get one leg wrapped around yours, you're going to the ground. I should put a little more respect on Randy Couture's name because at the same age that Damian Maya is at, uh, he was beating Vitor Belfort. And he got crushed by Liddell a couple times, but he did come back even a year after that and beat Tim Sylvia and Gabe Gonzaga. I think it's very clear Damian Maya ain't doing that. We saw him against three of the best fighters in the division. It ain't working, but uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, Joseph Benavidez deserves a title shot, Joe. And you know what he deserves it at? Whatever division he wants it. 125 or 135 at this point. And if he can't do that, I'd love to see him fight Aljamain Sterling. Peter Yan is hurt. Henry Cejudo is hurt. Would not mind seeing Benavidez and Aljamain Sterling for the right to face uh, Cejudo at whatever division is going on. He looked outstanding against Formiga. And... I thought it was disrespectful to Benavidez that Formiga was even ranked ahead of him. I mean, all all due respect to Formiga. He had won four fights in a row. He had won four out of his or five out of his last six. Benavidez has lost to Sergio Pettis and Demetrius Johnson in his UFC career ever. Benavidez deserves a title shot, Joe. What do you think? Yeah, I think at this point here, obviously with Cejudo being out. Um, it's up to Joseph Benavides what he wants to do uh, for the UFC's flyweight division and or if he wants to compete uh, at 135 pounds. I mean, even Aljamain Sterling, I think, I think he, tre- he tweeted out that he, you know, he gets it, he understands it. Benavides is a, I think he called him a legend. Uh, he deserves a title shot ahead of him. But that's the fight to make. If, if Benavides wants to fight, and it's got, it's got, to my opinion, it's got to be Sterling and it's the right to fight Henry Cejudo. Uh, and even if, you know, if, if Aljamain was to win that fight, Make that fight at 125 or 135 pounds, right? 
wherever that fight needs to take place, get it done. Now, at the same time, Benavidez uh, has the right to call his shot in this situation. He can compete at 125, which I'm sure is what he wants to do. Uh, but if the UFC said, look, we can only do this at 135, rest assured he'll say yes. I mean, and, he might put up a bit of a fight, but not much. And the thing is, he has a history with Cejudo. There was that controversial fight. It was all over the place. And as Boza mentioned, you could argue he beat Sergio Pettis. Yep. Very well, you could argue that. And I'll pull up the MMA decisions numbers, but even Aljamain Sterling said, listen, man, would I be mad if I didn't get a title shot against Cejudo? Yeah. Would I understand it? Yeah. I got a lot of respect for Aljamain Sterling for being that man, for being a sportsman and and saying that because it, it ain't always easy to swallow that pill. It, it's not. And if let's be honest, we don't expect this division to go anywhere, this flyweight division. Will they cut Formiga? No, probably not. They want him to hang around and, and be a bantamweight, I would imagine. But other than that, you're going to see guys like Matt Schnell and Piava and Alex Perez and Kai Kara France and all these people probably get paired away. You're probably going to see them get paired off and the loser gets cut. That's what I, I would assume anyway. Uh, when you look back at the, the Benavidez Pettis scores, it was down the middle as far as media. Maybe about 55% had it for Pettis, but 65% of fans scored that for Benavidez. So, I mean, I, I look at that too and I, and I weigh that. Damn, man. He deserves that title shot. And Joe... I want everybody to go back and look at the backstage interview. I can't remember who it was with. But when he got interviewed, I feel like it was with Hawani after his second loss to Demetrius Johnson. And Joe Benavidez, Joe, comma, Benavidez, <laughs> you could see it in his face. He was like, I may never get a chance again. Not, not just the title. Distraught. Not just a shot. He didn't. Or, or not just the title. He thought he would never get a shot again because who was going to beat Demetrius Johnson? And now he's he's got that, and it, it's just amazing to me. Like I, that's the one of the first times I felt heartbroken for a fighter, Joe. Yeah. I saw him, and he was just like depressed. It's it's cool to see that he wasn't a front runner, Joe. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go to a different division. I'm going to go to a different company. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to take stupid fights. He kept fighting the best fighters in his division, and he earned it, Joe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's stranger things have happened in MMA. I mean, that interview there after that fight there, because it was a terrible loss. I think it was that was the knockout loss, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to Demetrius Johnson. So, yes. you know, you're coming after, after that. you got to do a post-fight interview. He just realized you, you, you get hit in the face with a dose of, reality what you don't think about is how different things can happen there used to be a while ds was competing for after every single fight would call up george st pierre and we would laugh we're like dude what are you talking about you're never going to fight george st pierre you're with strike force he's with the ufc it's just not going to happen we would laugh 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 until the day came that the ufc brought they purchased strike force and all of a sudden we were all like oh my god the Diaz-GSP fight is actually going to happen. There was a guy named Conor McGregor. I'm not sure if you guys know who that is. He once said he wanted to fight Floyd Mayweather, and we all laughed at it. Never going to yeah. happen. Not going to happen. So this game itself, the, the, the game of UFC and combat sports and MMA in general, things have a way of just getting twisted. And before you know it, guys getting knocked out by a, you know, get losing to the champion a second time are distraught. They're never going to get a, t- a chance at a title shot. Well, that champion gets beat. The new one comes in there, who you actually beat. And he's the champ, 
you work your way to another title shot. So good for Joseph Benavidez. Uh, Joseph Boza, uh, while I respect your opinion, uh, it was mentioned you'd, you'd said, I feel like 125 was formed because Mighty Mouse lost to Dominic Cruz. Now that Mighty Mouse is gone, Dana doesn't care about the division. He was more worried about getting his pets to be champions. Mighty Mouse was never a pet of Dana White's. If anything, he was a thorn in Dana White's side. Flyweight was started because you had Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson and Daryl Montague and Joseph Benavidez and Jussier Formiga and Yura Shitani and all these people. You had an Ali Bagatinov coming up. You had Kyoji Horiguchi developing. You had all the – Ian McCall was around. Ian McCall because of all the stuff that was happening. Um, uh, What company was it? Tachi uh, pa- Palace. Palace, fights. yeah. yeah that was, I mean, people were loving Ian McCall back then for sure. Uh, there was uh, Dustin Ortiz. There were a lot of fighters there that – especially in Tachi Palace fights – and Tachi Palace fights was smart. They, they were like, hey, you know what? You, you all don't want to book like all these people? We'll do it. I, I think Yamaguchi, um, Amor Yamaguchi was another name that was yeah, pretty Yamaguchi well known. Yeah, right with the Afro. I loved him. Out of, out of yeah. Shuto. And Tachi Palace was like, you know what? We'll book all these people. And UFC took those guys. It's, yep. it's like there. I remember back then, I fired up my old WMMA game, Joe, and – there were names there. There were people. I was like, damn, there, there are a lot of good flyweights there. Yeah. And there still are. But now a lot of these guys are seeing, ah, maybe it's not, it doesn't work best to do that. Look at Kyoji Horiguchi. He is one of the best Bantam weights in the world. And yeah. uh, I think that's amazing. I'll tell you what's also amazing, Joe. We were right on the money. We weren't necessarily right with the picks, but either a one minute thrashing or a sustained beatdown. It was a one-minute thrashing. Francis Ngannou drilled Junior Dos Santos, put him away. That's a wrap. Francis Ngannou should be booked for the Cormier-Stipe show against a striker. Just a striker. Don't care who. Um, But he should be the insurance policy in case Cormier or Stipe falls out. What did you think of this fight? I was stunned, absolutely stunned, only because I had my eye on Junior DeSantos winning this fight. Uh, but Ngannou, like, you know, we talked about it. He just got to touch you once. Once he touches you, body shuts down. You're, you're running for, you know, you've got to get away. And if you can't get away and you fall, he's going to jump on top of you and hammer fist you until you either go to sleep, you either tap out, or the referee stops the fight. And this guy is something else. He's, he's just got brutal power. Uh, I, I don't know who he should face next. Uh, I'm tempted to say Derek Lewis. Just I know nobody wants to run that fight back, but maybe it's an example for Francis Ngannou to say, okay, you know what? I screwed up in that fight. My head wasn't in the right place. Let's do it again. Give me that rematch. Let me hurt this guy. But other than that, I mean, who else can you put him against? I mean, there's Volkov. You're not going to put him against Overeem. You're not going to put him against Velasquez or, or Olenek. I mean, there, there aren't that many options right now for Francis Ngannou other than the winner of DC and Stipe Miocic. So, It'll be interesting to see what the UFC does with him and if they do decide to put him on that same card, which I think is always a fantastic idea. But, I mean, there's times when the UFC does things, Sean, as you know, we're just kind of like, ah, whatever. Yeah, uh, this is good for the UFC, I think, and all. Junior DeSantos, whether he won or lost, I don't think his his appeal was necessarily going to be affected because everybody knows who Junior DeSantos is. You can put him on the card. He'll attract names. Francis Ngannou needed to be at the top. 
he needed to show that he could do it. And uh, Joe, in case the recipe was ever in question, Francis Ngannou throws his fists at somebody's face. (laughs) And usually they don't last very long after that, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, There's some videos a, I saw on Instagram of, of people saying, yeah, let's see your kicks, let's see your kicks. And they had, like, Thai instructors holding pads for him or whatever. I think yeah. it was on the UFC, was it the UFC channel or UFC uh, Instagram. And Ngano kicked through the Thai pad, and the guy went flying across. Like, just his body completely turned over, right? So the guy was kind of was smaller than Ngano. But was it you that posted the picture of Ngano and, and – no, it was Brock Lesnar and somebody else. Uh, yeah. Lesnar, Lesnar looked like a regular dude. I was like, yeah. holy, who's this guy? Wow. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Nganu winning is good for the UFC, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's fearless. He's, he's, he has that aura about him that people will be – they want to tune in because he's a monster. He's an absolute monster, and you got to have – you know, take nothing away from DC and Stipe Miocic. DC's a great fighter, yeah. right? He's, he's, he can win fights uh, on, with any way he likes because he's that talented. He's got the dad bod. Right, people love that. Then you got Stipe Miocic, who really isn't the champion that people really gravitated to because he's just a regular blue collar guy. He just goes back and does his uh, his work back home and whatever, blah blah. And Gano's a monster. And when you think of the heavyweight division, be it in boxing or uh, MMA or just in general, big scary men. You know what I'm saying? Like a big monster. He fits that mold. So uh, as part of this show, I'm very excited to talk about the 2019 UFC Hall of Fame. We have a few inductees. Michael Bisping, the headliner. He was just such a consistent, long-running name in the sport. And Joe, MMA is so much different than other sports. Like we've never seen an MLB, NFL, NBA Hall of Famer come back and fight. It's not out of the realm of possibility that a Bisping fights. It's not out of the realm of the po- of possibility that that Rashad Evans fights again. I mean, is is it likely? No, but is it possible? Yes. And we've seen Hall of Famers fight. BJ Penn still technically fights. He stands up and falls over when he gets hit. But Michael Bisping, UFC Hall of Famer. Uh, first off, uh, you know, I'll just throw it out there. Is he worthy? Kind of a setup question for you to knock it down anyway. But your thoughts on that and him going into the Hall of Fame? Um, I'm not sure if he's worthy. Um, I don't really have much of an issue with it because the guy did so much for the store, sport. Um, he, he, he's a great character. He's a fantastic fighter. Obviously became a world champion. You could always count on Michael Bisping uh, to not only come out there and fight and you know put on fantastic fights, but also stir the pot. You know He did a great job for the UFC and moving the needle. He did just amazing things for the UFC in England and in Europe in general. Uh, so yeah, I kind of I really don't have a, a, too much of an issue with it. Uh, but there are other people that I'm still kind of wondering, like, what's what's like, why isn't George St. Pierre being nominated for the Hall of Fame? Why isn't Big John McCarthy some way, somehow being, in, you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame? It's it is it is kind of weird. But um, am I going to lose sleep over Michael Bisping being inducted to UFC Hall of Fame? No, not at all. You know? And that that's the same argument that you'll hear out of wrestling fans, too. Why isn't this person? Why isn't this person in? Well, this doesn't mean necessarily that those other people won't get in because, of course, right. they will. Big John will get in in the contributor wing, of course. And as we look over the career of Bisping, he won the middleweight title, beating Rockhold, beating he beat Dan Henderson. And you look at that resume. Uh, wins over Anderson Silva along the way, Chris Lieben, Matt Hamill. Those are actually the wins that stand out more. Uh, Brian Stan, I think it was his longevity, his influence, and his impact that, that brought him there. 
Rashad Evans, on the other hand, he was a light heavyweight champion. He beat guys like Rampage Jackson when they were perceived to be in their prime at the very least. Another ultimate fighter guy. Uh, he beat Forrest Griffin, Chuck Liddell. He beat Bisping. He beat Bonner. Uh, like I mentioned, Rampage, Tito Ortiz, Phil Davis, who's still doing it. Dan Henderson, Chael Sonnen. I think that despite the way that Rashad Evans' career ended, I think that his resume is much more impressive, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I've been down in these UFC Hall of Fame ceremonies, and, and they're really nice. They're really good to be a part of. Uh, you know, sometimes guys get emotional. Um, but they're, 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 they're fun to be a part of. And, you know, again, like I said, not taking anything away from Michael, uh, but at the same time, there's, there's people that I'm thinking, like, should be ahead of him. I think you put it succinctly. There, there'll come a time when they're going to be put in there. Speaking of the Diego Sanchez Clay Guida fight being inducted, I think this is an amazing way to get people like that in this Hall of Fame. Yeah. Not champions, but Clay Guida and Diego Sanchez are such important. I don't want to call them role players. I don't want to call them good hands or anything like that. Guys like that are integral to what makes the UFC. It's not always the main event. It's not always the title fight. You got to have moments. You got to have special things like that. And damn it, Joe, that was a real special fight. Those guys were teeing off on each other at one point where the hair was flying for Clay and Diego biting down on his mouthpiece. I mean, that that goes down in MMA lore. That goes down in history. Uh, some of the craziest moments in within a mixed martial arts boat. So yeah, that, I mean that was a that was a fantastic fight. I think it was absolutely incredible and and throw it in there. Why not? I mean, there's other boats that should be in there as well, but that's one for sure. Now, have they announced a contributor? They they 2019. No. Yeah, I don't think they've done. They're they're real consistent with that with like contributor wings and all that stuff in modern era and the fight and stuff. I, I like the idea that they have multiple wings. I yeah. think that'd be cool. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good to see these guys go into the Hall of Fame. It is, I think, it's important to the sport, and it, it lets these people be remembered. Now, I'll hit you with this one, Joe. Make an early prediction for next year's inductees. I, I say it every year: Big John McCarthy and George St. Pierre. Fair, fair. Um, I'm gonna go out of left field. I'm gonna say Big John McCarthy. And Brock Lesnar. Interesting. And here's Interesting. the thing. Here's a fight that will have to go in at some point, but they don't fit the Guida and Sanchez bill. Pat Barry and Czech Congo. Yeah. And Czech Congo probably ain't going in because he's in Bellator right now. Yeah. But when he's done with Bellator, that fight's got to go in. That, that one, crazy. That one was really important to the unpredictability and, and perception of UFC on TV. But uh, man, it's, it's great to see all this. Now, Joe, I posted a column this, or not a column, a long form feature this week on a guy named killer cross. Mm-hmm. He's a pro wrestler with a lot of MMA background. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. 
break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And Future Stars of Wrestling in Las Vegas is putting on an MMA-themed show this weekend. Ryan Couture's wrestling on it. Uh, Stefan Bonner's wrestling on it. Gina and Dave Mazzani are on it. Uh, like, we've got Tom Lawler on there. The UWFI was the thing. Of course, they're, they're, you look back at Ken Shamrock versus Matt Hume, very clearly a worked fight, but it's on their records. Do you see more of this emerging? Now, pro wrestling and MMA have just such mountainous popularities it has its peaks and valleys do you think more of this is happening and do you think that more fighters will take a look at this and like this it seems like the stigma is gone seems like they see it as a way to extend their career now as opposed to ruining it don't tell that to jimmy van a lot of mma fans absolutely hate wrestling and they probably do some of them do but i think the stigma is starting to you know dissipate it's starting to fade away. Um, I, I know there's uh, that's not that's not the one Kane Velasquez is on, right? No, but he is wrestling in AAA uh, next month, so that's that's yeah. a big on their biggest show of the year. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting to note that th- there's things that are changing, and it could be a viable option and avenue uh, for mixed martial artists to either migrate to post. Uh, their career, or you know, it, it could be an option for them right off the bat. I mean, it all depends on. Um, you know, one's priorities, one's financial outlook, right? But I think it is something that uh, should be entertained. It, it comes with risks. Everything comes with risks. Uh, if you're an existing UFC fighter or mixed martial artist and you go and do any sport, uh, professional wrestling included, uh, or any entertainment whatsoever, there is the risk of injury. Nothing worse than, you know, a UFC fighter not having a fight coming up or having a fight coming up and getting injured while doing something non-UFC or mixed martial arts related. So, uh, there are risks involved, but other than that, I think it's a fantastic idea for all. I mentioned uh, previewing the Bellator show. I messed up. That's next week, the uh, Bud versus Ruben show. So we won't be talking about that one this week, but what we will be talking about is UFC 239. And this is going to be one hell of a show, Joe. That main card is just absolutely loaded. Yeah. This is obscene, but... On the prelims, you have Julia Avila, a minus 230 favorite. Panny Kianzad, a plus 190. You have Chancer Encounter, a massive underdog, plus 360. Ismail Nardev is a minus 450. Then you have Edmund Shabazian, a minus 500. Jack Marshman, a plus 400. Alejandro Perez, a plus 180. Song Yedong, a minus 220. And then we get into the, the, the fights where most people are going to know who these people are. There, there are some massive lines on this prelim show, Joe. Yeah. What do you think? To me, to me that that's just wild, some of these lines. Jack Marshman. Yes. All day long. Plus 400 on him? Yeah, five bucks. I got five on it. Like, why not? It. It's hard for me to put a person who has won three fights in the UFC – in the last two and a half years at a at that level. Now, again, I'll always say it. Do I think that he's going to beat Shabazian? I sure don't. But that's got to be one. Penny Kianzad, 
a plus 190, that could be a close one too. These women's fights are always unpredictable, although that's been swaying a little bit, Joe. I've said that quite a bit lately, and it's been in the favor of of the bettors. Las Vegas has been right. The people that are betting have been right. But this is a pretty solid foundation for this. I mean, at least the way it looks, UFC booked these, hoping that there were going to be a lot of early finishes. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it looks like, right? I mean, even the way they set up the card... Uh, but yeah, they're looking for some finishes here. I mean, I, I, you would have to assume all matchmaking when it's done, you're, you're, you're booking an exciting fight in hopes that, you know, the, one of the two guys or girls, their strength shines and they end up with a finish. But this is one card where you're looking at saying, ooh, this could be a situation where none of these go the distance, right? So, Yeah, Joe, there are no lines closer than like plus 155 and minus 175. The lines are just momentous on this show. One that I completely understand is Gilbert Melendez, a plus 325 against Arnold Allen, the minus 400. Arnold Allen, 14-1. and one. He has won five fights in the UFC. He's 5-0. and oh. Going up against Gilbert Melendez, who has not won a fight since 2013, Joe. He has not fought since 2017. He has not fought more than once a year since 2013. Oh, by the way, he's only fought more than once a year once since 2012 I am not giving him much of a chance because the two fights that he has won in the UFC Josh Thompson split decision Diego Sanchez all-time classic bloodbath that could have eventually went either way I look for Arnold Allen to run away with this fight Joe yeah run away might be a little strong for me to agree with but I do see Arnold Allen willing winning this fight uh I mean the the can you not just think about what Jeremy Stevens did uh to Gilbert Melendez, and you start thinking, okay, well, the book is there, late kick, late kick, late kick, late kick, and that was in 2017, a uh, year and a half, maybe two years ago. So it's one of those things where it's like the book is almost there. Edson Barbosa did it. I mean, Eddie Oliver's pounded him. Anthony Pettis outstruck him. Uh, Gilbert Melendez is, is is not the same guy that was competing uh, for Strike Force and Shudo way back in the day. So it's, it, and I'm not saying, you know, it, it's time has come, but he's 37 years old, right? A lot of MMA wear and tear there. Uh, you know, I'm assuming he's got his, his school is successful. Everything is is going good with the scrap pack. So um, this could be one of the, one of the few final fights left in his contract. And I think Arnold Allen runs away with this one as well. Not runs away, sorry. Arnold Allen emerges victorious in this fight here. Just my suspicion, but I would assume that Gilbert Melendez had like a no cut contract because there ain't no way <laughs> keeping him on at that rate if they can help it with him. Being damaged goods. He was making $200,000. And that was, I think, during the Pettis fight, he made two hundred grand. So he's probably still making that. My God. That was, that was a big contract. That was the ultimate fighter contract, right? So What, Melendez? Yep. No, no, no. That wasn't the ultimate fighter contract. That's when they lured him away from Strike Force, if you remember. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a renegotiation because he was going to go to Bellator. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he got the ultimate fighter uh, deal done, and that's what he was with okay, Anthony right. Pettis, and that was a big contract. So, another interesting fight, I think. Random Marcos, who is a plus one eighty against Claudia Gadelia, minus two twenty. If you would have told me a year or two ago that that line would be that close, I would have been shocked. But we're talking about two people in way different points of their career. As it stands, Gadelia has. Ne- this may shock a lot of people. Gadelia has never won three straight fights in the UFC has only won two straight fights in the UFC one time, Joe. Yeah. Also, has never lost back-to-back fights. She is coming off of a loss. 
She has lost to people like Nina Ansaroff, who I think a lot of people would have compared to Randa Marcos a couple years ago as far as consistency and career. However, Randa Marcos has one loss in her last four fights. She beat Angela Hill earlier this year, finished her in the first round, something that we had not seen out of Randa Marcos in her UFC career, uh, maybe only in, in tough. How do you think this one goes? Because let's be honest, there hasn't been a lot that either one of these women haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at Randa's record, win-loss, 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 all right? Or draw, win, Yeah. right? So it's almost like if you follow trajectory, you follow patterns, Gadea is supposed to win and Randa's supposed to lose. And that's actually what I'm going with. I mean, this, it, this, it's is such an unpredict- this is such an unpredictable fight to me, Joe. Like, because there are points, like, what does a split decision win against Carla Esparza mean these days? Yeah. I don't know. What did that rear naked choke win two years ago that Gedalia had over Carolina Kovalkovich mean? Not a lot by the looks of it these days. Yeah. Jessica Aguilar, what did that mean? Nothing. Like, the only person that Gedalia has finished in the UFC is Carolina Kovalkovich. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Who's putting away... Randa Marcos. Well, in the UFC, it's been Courtney Casey, and I don't know that that happens again. Rose Namajunas did it on Tough, but I look at Randa Marcos's history, and she's also beat Carla Esparza via split decision. She's put away Angela Hill, who's a tough girl, but not a top level. Tisha Torres, I think, is a top level fighter. I thought that she was going to win Tough, and she got beat in the elimination round yeah. by Randa Marcos. This is a very interesting fight, and I think a very important fight that people shouldn't sleep on. Speaking of the Hall of Famer, man, that, that's that's a weekend for Diego Sanchez. Goes into the UFC Hall of Fame, and then he's a plus 270 against Michael Chiesa, a minus 330. I might have to put five on it, even though I like Michael Chiesa here. Joe, this is a hell of a fight. This is a it. fight. Yeah, yeah. Five <laughs> bucks on Diego Sanchez for sure. Come on. I mean, that guy there, you just never know. He just comes there, brings it. And it's going to be fantastic. Kiesa, for his part, should remain somewhat stoic. Let Sanchez just do what he has to do. Trap him. Take his back as early as you can per round. And let Diego fight uh, the rear naked chokes and stuff like that. Because Sanchez is a ball of energy. Uh, the guy operates in a different frequency no matter what people say. Every encounter I've had with Diego Sanchez has been nothing but positive. The guy is just just a wonderful soul, Sean. I cannot express to you. This guy is amazing. The original ultimate fighter. And he's still competing. Like the, He's the very first winner of the ultimate fighter. Not Forrest Griffin. It's Diego Sanchez. People keep forgetting about that. And this guy's still competing uh, against the top guys in the division. So I, I, I got all kinds of love for Diego Sanchez. And this is a courtesy. Emotional. I got five on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, this guy's fantastic. Kiesa's just got to be smart. Kiesa's smart, he wins. But, you know, my heart's going with Sanchez all the time. Kiesa moved up and beat Carlos Condit and looked really good in doing so. Diego Sanchez has also looked very good lately. Beat up Mickey Gall real bad. One of the best performances of Diego Sanchez's career. If Diego Sanchez wins this fight, man. I, I, like I'm not calling for a title fight or anything, but it's at the point to where you got to put him in there. Like I think you should capitalize on that name value and throw Diego Sanchez in there with a top ten name just to do it. Just I, and I don't care what weight division, you just do it. 
You capitalize, you throw them on an ESPN card second from the top, you make it worth it. Uh, I'm going Kiesa, but it would not surprise me in the least if Diego Sanchez ends up winning this. Here's a fight that I've been waiting for for a long time, Joe. Not not a fight. I don't give a damn about the fight. I don't care about Jan Blachowicz, plus 155. I care about seeing Luke Rockhold, minus 175. And as I've said, Joe, and I think we, we got about 75% accuracy on this, there's still a few days for this fight to not happen, Joe. <laughs> and it seems like every time I say that, it ends up happening. Yeah. No, you're right. Luke Rockhold finally making his 205-pound debut. And it's against Jan Blahovich, and he should be favored to win, but the lines are a little bit close, the closest lines on this show, maybe because of the unknown. And why, why is it unknown? Sean Ross, factor. Yeah, maybe because of the unknown, because Luke Rockhold doesn't fight. He doesn't fight. He's had four, he's had two or three fights happen since 2016. And I think he's had like four canceled. Does this fight happen, Joe? That's what I want to know. Wow. That's, I mean, it's even tougher than making the prediction for the fight. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say no. I don't think he's ever fought at light heavyweight. I don't know. I think this fight takes place, uh, and I'll be rooting for uh, Jan. Yeah, the thing is, do I think that Luke has the skill set to beat Jan Blahovich? Yeah, I think he's got the skill set to beat almost anybody in this division. I truly do. Yep. But um, when he's on point, because if he's not, he doesn't look it. Yeah. The only person that Luke Rockhold has beaten since 2016 is David Branch, who is a middleweight who competes at light heavyweight, who he was a minus 565 favorite over. But if you look at this, Joe. This is this is worth noting, I think. Some of his other wins in his UFC career. Chris Weidman, who is now a light heavyweight. Leota Machida, who has competed at light heavyweight, former light heavyweight champion. Michael Bisping, who probably, I, I would argue, may have been a better light heavyweight than he was a middleweight. Yeah, he was a damn good, good light heavyweight. Yep. Like, there are some of those. I think if he competed at that level, it would not surprise me to see Jan Blahovich grind this win out, but I think that Luke Rockhold's going to take it. What do you think? Um, Luke Rockhold, despite my disdain for his personality and <laughs> who he is, when it comes to being a mixed martial artist, is absolutely fantastic. Does have a special skill set, an, 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 almost like an underappreciated submission game right the guy the guy's got skills he's got jits uh he's a black belt for a reason he's he's fantastic when it comes that fight does get down to the ground but sometimes his fighter iq is is sort of strange or it leaves you to believe you're like what are you doing why would you do that that's a big mistake you shouldn't be doing stuff like that and if he gets caught and doesn't react quickly big trouble look at that michael bisping fight right I i know what happened in 2016 it's three years ago but you just never know uh but when he's on He's fantastic, and he can hear, he can hurt a lot of people. So it's tough to say which Luke Rockhold will show up on Saturday night. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not discrediting uh, Blackhovich's his skill set either, because if you look up and down his resume and some of the guys that he's defeated versus some of the guys that he's lost to, 
You know, this guy went three rounds. Right? He went into the third round with Tiago Santos, who's fighting for the title uh, in that main event. So tough guy. Although that Patrick Cummins majority loss, we're always shaking our head at that one still to this day. But other than that, I mean, he's, he's, he's lost some pretty quality names and, and defeated some pretty good names as well. I mean, he avenged that loss to Jimmy Manoa. Uh, and, of course, you know, when you beat Nikita Krylov, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame talk, right? Come on. Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. Well, that's not all, guys. That would be a, probably a good ESPN show right yeah. there that we just read off. But it doesn't end. Ben Askren, minus 270, 245. George Masvidal, a plus 205. This is a hell of a fight, too. I'm not writing Masvidal off. Because as we've seen, Ben Askren can run into trouble when people bring him the fight. Masvidal's bringing him the goddamn fight, Joe. It's going to happen. Yeah. But... Do I think that Masvidal can get up when Askren drags him down? I don't necessarily. Consistently for an extended period of time, I don't know. But I've you know made a, a very terrible living writing off Masvidal, and I'm not ready to do that anymore. I'm not ready to write off these guys who fought in strike force and weren't all that because, as we've seen, they can put away Darren Teal. They can put away Donald Cerrone. They can do that to people. Um Masvidal's got a hell of a, a resume, and he can compete at the top levels, or at least near it. And I'm excited for this fight. I'm going with Askren, though. Uh, yeah, it's 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 tough to say, in my opinion, because Masvidal has that ability to shock and awe people when he's motivated. The only thing is, you know, the MMA mileage on him uh, is actually pretty high. He's got 46 fights. He's 34 years old. That's a lot of competition. You know, 33 and 13, that, that's a lot of fights. So it's tough to say, per se, what's going to happen in this fight here. Ben Askren, like you said, if he takes him down on the ground, it gets ugly. It's, it's, it's very difficult to, to get up from a guy uh, with that type of wrestling uh, acumen. Uh, but Masvidal has precision, unlike some guys in this division. When he tags you and he starts unloading, the, the dude's a bad man. So you're going Askren. Uh, I'll go on the limb and say Masvidal. Why not? Up next, we have the two greatest 145-pound women's fighters of all time fighting at 135 pounds. I think it is, isn't it? This is for the Bantamweight title? This is the Bantamweight title. You know what's great? If they miss weight, they should just make it a featherweight title fight. Fantastic analogy. I love it. Yep. Like, why not? I think that's amazing that they, they could probably do that. Holly Holm plus 275. Amanda Nunes, a minus 335. I am of the belief, Joe, that the top five women's fighters of all time in no order are Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, Joanna Janjacek, Chris Cyborg, and Ronda Rousey, all things considered. Holly Holm sits right outside that list, and there are a lot of people that are not happy that Holly Holm got this fight. And I understand from a sport perspective, I understand. She beat Betch Kohea, who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> really. The Megan Anderson fight at featherweight, that was at featherweight. She should have beaten Jermaine Durandamy. She should have been the first ever UFC women's featherweight champion. But she wasn't. So as far as merit goes, it's not there at 135. Do I think it's there at 145? I do. Which is confusing to me, Joe. Why not just make this a 145-pound title fight? Yeah. No, very true. Very true. But the other thing that we should probably take into consideration, minus that Betch-Kohea fight, you know, you, you look at 
Holly Holm, um, you know, post victory over Ronda Rousey, she was dominating Misha Tate and found a way to lose. She would not pull the trigger against the bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. Jermaine Durandamy fight, same sort of thing. Like, could have won that fight far more early, but just wasn't pulling that trigger. Fights Bechkoea, takes her to the third round to knock her out, and then fights Chris Cyborg. And again, you thought, okay, there's got to be more here um, to Holly Holm. Like, what's happening? Why isn't she just going in there? She's very disciplined, but almost to her own detriment. And the Megan Anderson fight as well. Now, don't, I mean, Megan Anderson's tough. Don't get me wrong. She's super tough. But at the same time, I mean, Megan Anderson, if you put the pressure on Megan Anderson, just ask Felicia Spencer. Take her down, submit her. Right? I'm not saying Holly Holm needs to do that against Megan Anderson. But even in that fight, there's nothing in the last, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six fights. Uh, again, maybe five fights. Remove Betchkoea that that's showing me that Holly Holm can be a world champion again. You know, love to see it. I mean, what a marvelous young, what a marvelous woman she is. I think she's fantastic. I met her. Great girl. But Amanda Nunes is a beast. She goes out there to kill. And she's going to go out there to kill Holly Holm. The only reason why she won't be able to kill her is because there's a referee in there and there's rules. But that's her goal. That's her job. And she does it. I mean, do you ever question Amanda Nunes' game plan and say, uh-oh, you know, this could be a boring fight? No. So we'll see. Isn't it amazing that these two have never fought? Correct. It's amazing. So many exhausted options in that division. Uh, but something worth looking at. I don't know if Holly Holm gets tired. And if this goes to the fifth round, we've seen Amanda Nunes put people away. We've seen her arguably beat Valentina Shevchenko. But I think that may be an advantage for Holly Holm if she can drag that out. And that's one of Holly Holm's specialties is being able to drag fights out like that. However, it doesn't always go her way. But usually it doesn't always go her way against proven commodities at that length of time. This is one that you got to keep your eye on. I'm going Amanda Nunes, but I think if it goes to the fourth or fifth round, I think it's Holm's fight to win. John Jones, minus 550. Tiago Santos, a plus 425. Joe, here's here's the game plan. You walk in, you swing at John Jones. You do it in a responsible, technical manner, but you put hands on him. If you don't, you're going to lose the fight, Joe. Because you ain't out wrestling him. You're not going to beat him in the clinch. You might catch him with something. But that's your chance, Tiago Santos. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. <laughs> you Win the title. Eat your mom's spaghetti. I don't give a shit. Just throw your hands at his face and you might win. Does he stand another chance? I, I'm rooting for Diego Santos in this fight. 100%. I want to see what can happen if he touches John Jones. I mean, Jones can take a punch. Don't kid yourself. He's been tagged. Alexander Gustafson tagged him. DC's tagged him. Uh, but Tiago Santos brings a different type of power. I know DC's a heavyweight and he should be uh, bringing more power, but this is a fantastic scrap uh, because, I mean, I've got rare, I mean, again, I for those that have been tuned into this podcast for the past three years, happy anniversary, by the way. Um, yeah. yeah, three years. So you, you've heard me say it before. My litmus test in general is the amount of mainstream fan tweets, or tweet, excuse me, texts, 
uh, and points of contact that I get regarding a fight. And there's been some talk on this fight here, and a lot of it has to do with Thiago Santos's hype machine that this is the guy that's going to knock out John Jones. Now, uh, are, are some of these fans are educated, some of them not so much. They just like seeing violence and brutality, just like in Sean's uh, preamble there about, you know, touch him, knock him out, um, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I'm, you know, John Jones has taken a punch, can take them, but Thiago, Thiago Santos does not, going, does not go away. Still one of my favorite fighters to watch in mixed martial arts as a whole. Uh, I, I love seeing this guy compete, and I just want to see if he can do what Sean Ross Sapp said and just go out there. You got nothing to lose. This You made it to the pinnacle. You made it to the apex. You have the opportunity to become a champion. You got to take that belt away. And don't forget, this guy's a you know he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. So, you know, he, he's got the skills if this thing goes down to the ground, but John Jones has an ability to nullify fighters. We saw what he did to Anthony Smith. Anthony, Anthony Smith could not do anything in that fight for five rounds was like, I don't know what to do. Like I, I trained for this guy and I, nothing is working. So we'll see what happens with Thiago Santos's game plan, but touch him and you never know what can happen. Joseph Boza says, John's more worried about getting his no contest overturned against Matt Hamill. Will it ever be focused against Thiago? I, I don't like that take. John Jones has done cocaine and PEDs and all this stuff that he's popped for and still won fights. He has had a million things going on. I don't think he's that worried about Matt Hamill, especially to this level. Just because he talks about it doesn't mean he's worried about it. You can talk about things that don't really you know, give that much thought to. John Jones is going to win this fight unless Tiago Santos connects him and puts him out. My God. Well, here we are, Joe. UFC 239, I got five on it. And I'll go ahead and do it. I'll put five <laughs> on Tiago Santos. Nice. Just why not? Plus 425, miracles happen. You know I'll also put five on? Masvidal. One of the, the lower lines here. But at plus 205, I think that he could pressure Ben Askren and maybe put him away. The other I got five on it, Jack Marshman, just because you never know at plus 400. It might be worth it. Uh, Joseph Boza says, Dana's been wanting to get that overturned so we can say he is undefeated. I haven't heard him talk about it. Maybe you can send me a link. Joe, three years. Yes, sir. A fightful. Three years ago, I remember uh, we had like one of our first shows and it went like an hour and 40 minutes. Well, why did it go that long? Because UFC ran three events that week that we had yeah. to preview. I don't miss that. No offense. I don't miss three fights. I like the one. I'm cool with that. We don't need a tough finale with nothing on it the night before a big show. What do you think of the adjustments? I love it, man. It's it's just but they gotta keep going. They gotta keep going. Like I said before, you can trim down this roster to the top fifteen per division. And that's all you need to keep on the roster because at any you don't need any more because if if a fight gets canceled. You could pick up the phone and call anybody in the world in that division, and they would jump at the opportunity to compete in the UFC. Make every single fight worth watching. Make every single fight relevant. And then people will start tuning in, and I think the UFC brand will you – know, I, I, I mean, I, I can't tell you or express to you what it's like uh, in good old America, but I know what it's like in Canada, uh, and the appetite isn't the same as it was you know, three, four, five years ago. Um, when, when everything meant something now, it's just like, it's an afterthought for most people. If, 
you know, I think uh, some soccer gets higher ranking or ratings than, than the UFC. Uh, so, you know, that, that says a lot in a Canada-like country where the UFC, Dana, Dana once called it the mecca of MMA. So, Sp- Speaking of, did you see where Draco Rodriguez got the call to fight on UFC this weekend? Yeah. And King of the Cage blocked him because he's a local ticket seller. He's making a fraction of what UFC would even pay him, the 10 and 10, a possibility of $20,000, but 10 guaranteed. Yeah. And all credit to Sucker Punch Entertainment who were like, we don't give a shit if we have any working relationship with King of the Cage. We're going to bat for our fighter. This is wrong. I know that there was a contract, but it's almost an unspoken thing. You get a call from the big guys, let him go. This yeah. is going to hurt King of the Cage, and I think it helps Sucker Punch Entertainment. I have a lot of respect for what they did there, standing up for their fighter. That reminds me, have you ever watched Tropic Thunder? No. Sorry. Matthew McConaughey is Ben Stiller's manager, and he flies out to the middle of the jungle just to bring him TiVo. Oh, God. That's, that's what that <laughs> reminds me of. I have a lot of respect for people who take care of their fighters in that regard. Your thoughts on, on that, Joe? Well, I think it's fantastic. I, I, I'm not sure what, what King of the Cage is, uh, is, is thinking, not letting, because it is an unwritten rule for, for grassroots promotions. The King they got to stash away all their Tony Lopez's. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like I, I listen as a as a, a grassroots promoter. They're more than grassroots. They've been around for a long time. Sometimes losing your number one or a big ticket draw sucks, and I get it because that impacts the bottom line. It impacts uh, the company financially. So I could see them putting up a fight, but there is the unwritten rule when that when the, when one of your fighters gets called up to the big show, chances are you gotta let him go or her. Well, guys, you can let us go for now, but we're back this week. I'm going to post the UFC preview. I'm going to be here after UFC 239, so make sure you guys join me for that. Uh, That same night, Warren Hayes has a G1 Dallas review. I've got Impact Wrestling review. We're all over the place this week, guys. Thank you all so much. Follow Joe at Joe A. Ferraro. Follow me at Sean Rossat, but follow us at Fightful MMA. Until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.